This morning, I'm going to give kind of just some final thoughts. We're going to kind of wrap up the, chat, the, the book itself. Um, we're not going to do a deep dive into every single verse this morning. But I want to give you some concluding thoughts that I, I hope um, would uh, be the same thoughts that Peter would want to give the churches then of saying, hey, as, as you finish out this letter, as you remind yourself that you are on the margins of society, um, I want you to remember a couple things. And so I hope that these are... Um, true to what he's wanting us to understand as we kind of look through chapters 4 and 5 today. So we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 4 and 5. We're going to kind of hit some pieces and parts of it, so don't worry. We're not going to try and tackle two chapters this morning um, and uh, get through those. So first off, um, I want to give a quote from a book that we've been using a lot through this series called Everyday Church, and this quote will actually set up, I think, where Peter wants us to go and... um, just as a, a warning, this, this morning's uh, final thoughts um, may feel um, a little more like a two-by-four <laughs> at times. Uh, it, these are one of those mornings that I had a, just as a passing thought, um, I had a, um, well, classes and other things, but I think it was, um, pastor it was, but basically his, his statement was, if you can't say amen, you can at least say ouch. Uh, and so this morning, maybe one of those sermons where you can't maybe say amen, I agree with that, you may be able to be like, oof, ah, okay. So that's okay. Uh, we need some of these in our life as well. So um, let me just give you a quote that it kind of starts a lot of us off into that, that vein this morning. He, he gives this amazing statement. He says, if we live out our relationship with Christ in a way that expresses itself in distinctive obedience to his lordship, two things will happen. Then the world will either be drawn to that light or try to extinguish it. As we think about living as exiles, as we think about closing off this incredible letter, Peter's going to remind us again and again, hey, if we're truly living the Christian life, if we're truly living and following Jesus, and if the world hated Jesus, don't be surprised that it hates you. Don't be surprised that it's trying to extinguish everything that you hold dear. And don't be surprised that it it, it could also be drawn to that light as well. And that's where we're going to kind of center our attention this morning is the world will either be drawn to the light of gospel or it will try to extinguish the, the truth of the gospel. And I think we can all see that. In 1 Peter chapter 4, 12, he says it in this way, beloved I love that he says beloved. It's like he knows the two by four is going to swing. So he's like, hey, I love you. I love you. So just prep yourself. Get a good stance. Be ready to take this. Uh, I love you, beloved. Um, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't, Don't think this is weird. Don't think this is strange. The gospel is always going to produce these things. So don't think this is odd in any way as he closes out these last two chapters. Christianity was never meant to be neutral. I think we've lived in a culture for so many years and, and maybe even a lifetime that Christianity has just become another neutral, nice thing. But it was never meant to be neutral. Following Christ was never meant to be easy. And just like the disciples that were often embarrassed by Jesus, they were often unprepared by Jesus and what he said, and they often wanted to make excuses for Jesus. He didn't really mean it. He's, he's, he's just having a bad day. I, I apologize. He's not really wanting you to drink his blood and eat his flesh. Uh, it's just kind of a weird thing he says all the time. He just gets us with that every time. <laughs> Shh, stop embarrassing us. Or simply 
we just don't like to be under the fiery trial that Peter tells us is par for the course. But regardless, I think if you follow Christ long enough, there will be moments in your life, for me included, that will be embarrassing, you'll be unprepared, you'll want to make excuses for the scripture that you read, the Bible that you hold, or even why you attend the church that you attend. We could be embarrassed even more so by hard conversations or hard topics that are floating around our culture today. Um, We could be almost unprepared when somebody asks us how to respond to such tragedy as we saw this week down in Texas and people asking, what on earth? How would God and where is God and how could this evil and all these things? And we could often come to those questions and be like, I really don't know. And we feel embarrassed or unprepared that, that, that we know the gospel speaks to it, but maybe we just don't understand how or why it speaks to that. Which let me just give a quick caveat to that. Man, I am praying so much for families, but I'm also praying for churches in that area. I'm praying that the churches rise up and be Jesus in that community because they need the light of the gospel. They need hope right now that, that they don't have. But we can often have those things where we get embarrassed or, or unprepared or, 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 for goodness sake, let's pick on ourselves a little bit when you get news of scandals and abuse coming out of the SBC and you're wondering, what on earth is this about? If this is Christian leadership coming out of the Southern Baptist Convention, what on earth do we have to, to offer this church? And And so there's all these things that we are seeing and hearing around. But Peter reminds us, beloved, don't be surprised by any of this. This is not shocking. This is not new. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said it himself, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And here's the big issue, and here's the big thought this morning that comes out of that quote and where we're going to head for the rest of this morning. As exiles, as those living on the margins, we should expect to be marginalized while we call for growth in others. And we're going to look at those two things. We should expect to either be on the fringes and marginalized, or we should be, if we're truly living in obedience to Christ, be drawing out growth in those around us. And if neither of those are happening in your life, I would kind of question whether you're living in obedience. I'm not going to question whether you're a believer. I'm going to question, are you living the full obedience that Christ has asked you to follow him in? As exiles, we should be expect to be marginalized and call for growth in others. And in case that didn't make it clear, uh, again, this is going to be one of those sermons that's going to be like a, uh, and I get that. As I was prepping for this, I was hit many, many times in the face with these passages and saying, man, what am I doing? Is that my life? Am I living that out? Is my life truly living marginalized or unprepared and all these things? And we're going to ask a couple questions as we work through these. So here's a couple questions we're going to work through to get through that main point. One, when was the last time you or I were persecuted for your belief and commitment to Jesus Christ? Number two, when was the last time you were asked to give account for the hope that is in you? When did somebody notice something in your life that was like, oh my word, I want what that is? Have you had those moments in your life where people have turned to you and said, I don't know how you do it or what you're doing, but I want what that is? Do we have moments where we've asked to account for the hope that is in us, as he tells us earlier in in chapter 3? Are you living a life that makes no sense without the gospel? Or is it just another, I can make it through this life, I can make it through the next hour, everything's fine? You see, there's false versions of grace that promise glory now or glory without suffering all over the place. You don't have to look far to find any kind of message or post or something that says, you don't have to suffer here in this world. It's fine. You can live a life that is fully just okay. 
and that's fine. There's a real temptation for all of us to take a deal in this world, living here now, to take a deal that sounds like this. You can live in perfect health to your 100, very rich, die the most famous person in the world, and pass into twilight consciousness a vague pleasantness forever. You could just, if that was the deal, like you can live to 100, you can have no issues, no worries, you can just slip into a twilight that you don't have to worry about anything, it's just going to be peaceful and restful if you just give up this one thing. But it will cost you never seeing the face of God, never helping to save a neighbor's soul, and never be free from sin. The reality, unfortunately, sometimes is in our lives and Christians and uh, non-Christians alike, we, we can often see that as a really good deal. You know, with so many things coming at us again and again and again, it's like, it's like you wake up, I don't know if you feel this way, it's like you wake up every morning, you're like, okay, so what's next? <laughs> what's going to fa- hit the fan next? Like, what, what's going to break? What new story is going to come? What, what part of my life do I have to bend to? And we just, I don't know if you feel this or not, but as a culture and as even this community, I feel like we're just tired. <laughs> we're just like, I can't handle one more thing to break. I just can't end one more thing. So, so if I'm offered just an easy life to live to 100 and pass on, even if I don't get to see the face of God, never help a neighbor or soul or, or never be free from sin, it might be tempting at times to take that deal and say, I, I just, I just want to shut off. There may be a great temptation to take it. And how much, as I ask the question of myself, does it worry myself that my heart is that tired or broken or responsive that that deal seems good and how much as believers would it bother us hopefully bother us that that we would take that deal that we would say you know what the present here and now is far easier better than some unknown god that i can't fully see or touch so i'm just going to take it and move on but here's the reality this morning, and you know this and I know this, but 1 Peter 1 told us this at the very beginning of the letter. There is so much more. There is so much more to the Christian faith. 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 9. Let me just read this to you as an encouragement this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, that is kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Does this not sound familiar? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that it is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There is hope. There is more. There is joy that is unexpressible, filled with glory, and a God we cannot touch, see, and experience maybe as a physical being today. But there is so much more. And as exiles, we are expected to live in a way that we are marginalized or called for growth because we have that in us this morning. You see, I believe the next generation um, 
that is coming behind us that, that aren't in church, um, I believe the spiritual crisis that is in front of us as we look to the coming generations is not one that they don't believe what the church teaches. Let me just flesh that out just a second. I don't know if the next generation truly doesn't believe or put trust in what the church believes. I think they could get on board with it. I think what the next generation in the spiritual crisis that is coming is not so much they don't believe it, but I think they think that the church doesn't believe it. I think they think we're a bunch of frauds. I think they look at the church and if all the things happening and they say, you say you believe it, but I don't see any evidence of it on a daily basis. Look to any high school, middle school student and, and, and they're dying for, truly dying for mentors in their life who are living out a truth of 1 Peter chapter 1. If they saw somebody that they had the joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, they would say, oh my word, I want that. I don't understand and I don't believe all the church teaches and I could probably disagree with half the things they say, but man, did they believe it. I think we've lost that. And I think this generation coming up behind us truly is calling our cards and our bluff and saying, prove it. Prove it, church. Prove that you love Jesus. Because everything I'm seeing is just being nice and saying nice things and being pleasant and polite. And I don't think you guys really believe what you say you believe. And that's hard. Because again, it's, it's a question that we see in the, in the states predominantly. It's the question that's asked, when was the last time we were persecuted for our belief and commitment to Jesus Christ? 1 Peter again, 4, 12 to 15. Let me read the, the context around verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as if something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering so that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because of the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief, as an evildoer or as a meddler. Persecuted in the United States is obviously very different than other parts of the world. We live in a time, and you may not see this, but it is, if you look through history, I believe we are living in the most religiously free time in the United States that we've ever experienced. And you're like, wait, whoa, hey, easy. <laughs> I do. I think we've never had it easier as religious organizations. We're not truly as bad off as we have been. If you look through history, it may not feel like it, but I feel like we are in a unique spot. However, saying that, we are facing some similar things that First Peter's audience would have faced, and that is when he uses the word insult. For if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. If you suffer or insulted for the name of Jesus, I think we could get on board with that. I think we could see that in our life. You call yourself a Christ follower, prove it, right? But again, it should be part of our life. It should be part of our obedience to him. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, this, this verse does not make many mugs, nor does this verse make many t-shirts. This is not one you put up on your refrigerator. This is not one many people get tattooed, but maybe it should be. 
2 Timothy 3.12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Tat it, baby. Let's go, right? Nobody, that was weird. Nobody ever, I apologize. Nobody ever truly, like, that's not sitting on your counter, right? You know, you walk into your house, you're like, oh, that's a nice we got to go, right? I mean, this is not a verse you put everywhere, but indeed, he says, if you desire to live a godly life, if you are obedient to Jesus, you will, not if, not maybe, you can possibly, you will be insulted, persecuted for following Christ. So let me be crystal clear, though, this morning. <laughs> when Peter talks about persecution, let me just say this in love. Here comes the two by four. When Peter talks about being persecution, it's because of Jesus, not because you're just irritating, annoying, and following some voice that's not Jesus. There's an interesting phrase here in verse 15. But none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer, or he adds this word, as a meddler. Now, this is an interesting word. Um, particularly this last word, meddler. It's a word that is only found in First Peter. It's the word altrapakakapos, which is fun to say better. That sounds better than meddler. Quit being a altrapakakapos. A what? Yes. In Greek, it, it, it's only found here. It's nowhere else in the Bible. It is nowhere else in the Septuagint to which you're like, the what? Uh, it's the Greek translation that gets put, the Hebrew translation that gets put into Greek. That's, it's not found in any of the translations. It's not found in any Greek literature. It's as if First Peter kind of pulled this word out of his culture in like a slang word, and he's like, don't be this. Don't be a meddler. It's almost like Peter is saying, this is going to mean a lot to my community, and we probably have slang terms that we could possibly use, but let me just be safe this morning and say, as a meddler, he's talking about those who give unsolicited advice, and the advice is never helpful. You may be around some of those people. You may have experienced those people. You may be one of those people. They just love to give advice, and it's never truly good advice, and they're never happy. You ever notice that? Meddlers are never happy. You would think with all the information they perceive and all the information they get about everybody else around them, they'd be a lot happier than what they are, but they're not. Their job is to make you as unhappy in life as they are. That's, that's the goal. <laughs> um, they're busybodies, troublesome, internet trolls, whatever you want to call them. But let me just give you a quick example, and I'm just going to call it out because it needs called out. It's basically when you think meddler, the first thing I thought of when I thought meddler was pretty much a constant thread on Voice of Canal Fulton. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> I'm just putting it out. I just, I can't read it some days. I can't, I can't. I, I get that you love ducks. I, I really don't care. I know. Send the emails to Ashley at Community <laughs> Bible Online. Um, I, 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 I just feel like sometimes, like, and I get it, you're like, we've just lost, like, the entire city. You're like, you're trying to attract people to this church. What are you doing? I know. I'm sorry. But, but there are days where I just, I just read it, and I'm like, wow, wow, life is really that bad for you? Okay. Um, there's good things in life. 
that are outside of that um, Tussle community group page. Whatever, I'll, I'll toss them both in. That's fine, right? It's, it's this thing that just, wow, that went harder than I thought. Um, but it is, there's just so much meddling into everybody's life and everybody's got an opinion that needs to be stated. And half the time you think, does it really need to be stated? Does it really need to irritate you that much? Because here's what he's saying. Many Christians will say and have said, I'm being persecuted for what I'm putting online. They silence me because I love Jesus. Let me tell you this morning, sometimes they don't silence you for loving Jesus. They silence you for being a meddler. Just put that out there. Sometimes they just silence you because you're annoying. Sometimes they just silence you because you really enjoy poking the bear and you're just really good at it. Amen. I am one of those. Okay. I get it. There are many times I'm like, I just want to, and Carrie's like, please don't ever put that. You see how much I'm online. I'm not because it's, well, it's wiser for me. Okay. Uh, and so it, it's, it's not always because of Jesus. It's almost always the persecution can come because it's the cause of the day, the cause of the hour, or it's just a passing thought you had that morning that you thought the entire world would benefit from hearing. When in reality, take a sip of coffee, take a minute before you start hitting send. I'm just going to ask you to do that, please. Because half the time we think we're persecuted for Jesus, but we're truly just maybe persecuted for other things. Peter and Jesus say that this, that, that kind of persecution, this idea of meddler persecution, here's what they say, that kind of persecution doesn't count. <laughs> That's hard to hear. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. That's in Scripture. He says that one, it doesn't count. Tim Keller says it like this. If you are constantly in conflict, but no one is coming to faith in Jesus, you are probably being persecuted for character flaws and not the gospel. What? To which we say, ouch. To which I say, thank you. To which I say, Amen. Because oftentimes, it's just we want to be heard, or I don't know. But if nobody's coming to Jesus, we can assume it's just because they don't understand. They just don't love Jesus like I do. They're going to burn. Instead, maybe it's just a character flaw, and it's not truly the gospel. Are you being insulted because you believe what Jesus says, or because of where you think he would have fallen on a particular issue or grievance of the day? The issue for some of you is that you speak the truth without love, and you will be persecuted for that, trust me, <laughs> but nobody will be attracted to Jesus through it. If anything, they'll be running from the church for it. So for those in that camp, let me just, just swing harder. Um, <laughs> the issue is truly us at times. The issue is that we just speak truth without love, and, and, and God reminds us we're to, to do both. And so for those in that camp this morning, I would just encourage you to say, is this, before I get into this argument, before I start meddling into everybody's world and start judging their sins versus my sins, before I start doing that, could I just go back to the gospel and say, Jesus Christ would respond how? And before you get bent out of shape to the world and how the world reacts, I would just challenge you to go through the Gospels and see how Jesus responds to the world versus how Jesus responds to the Pharisees. Very different. Very different. That's the first question. <laughs> You're like, you've got two more? I got two more. 
When was the last time you were asked to give account for the hope that is in you? Second question. We said on one end that speaking the truth in Christ could lead to marginalization, and it will. Speaking the truth about the gospel will end up being isolated, embarrassed for the sake of Jesus. That's going to happen. But on the other side, maybe that's not your issue. Maybe you're, you're good. I don't, I'm not a meddler. I'm, I'm good. Let me just ask the other question. When was the last time you were asked to give an account for the hope that is in you? Others of you will go on the other spectrum. If some of you speak the truth but not love, others of you may speak love without any truth. Others of you will speak only love without truth of Scripture and be attracting everyone but saving no one because you're drawing them just this fluffy, we're all loving, we're all good. If you are, to put it another way, if you are never in conflict or persecuted and no one comes to faith, you're probably living, well, let me just put it this way. I'm going to state it as Tim Keller, Tim Keller does and then I'll just let it sit, <laughs> okay? He says, if that's you, if it's all about love, it's all about just accepting people where they are and I'm never going to speak truth to them, if you're never persecuted because of that and you're just always loving and no one comes to faith through you, nobody's asking about the hope that is in you, he says you may be at best living inconsistently and at worst living as a coward. To which again, I say personally, ouch. Because I can run both gamuts pretty quickly and I can run in the coward phase a lot. And I can say, you know what, I don't want to get in. I don't want to involve myself. I don't want to live as an exile because it's uncomfortable. I can't say that, can I? I can't make fun of a voice that can phone, can I? Yeah, maybe you can. Um, but I, I can push those things, but I can often settle back because I don't know how it's going to respond. And, and what happens is if we truly love one another, we're going to say hard things. And if we don't, we're, we're going to sit back and we wonder why nobody's coming to faith in Christ or nobody's asking about the hope within us because maybe we're not speaking truth with all of our love. The early church are amazing examples of truth and love. And this is crazy. In, four, in Acts 4.29, uh, as they're being persecuted, as they're being dragged off to prison, um, we get these words. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. In the middle of persecution, in the middle of losing everything, they said, don't let us shrink back at all. Ephesians 6, 19 and 20, same kind of prayer. Colossians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. That I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak, to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. To be clear, if you're living as you should and sharing the truth about Jesus with those around you, one of two things will happen. Possibly two things will happen if we live out obedience and we live it out in a way that's consistent with the gospel. Two things will happen, at least maybe one will happen in your conversations and relationships. Number one, questions and opportunities will come. If you're living in a way that's genuine and living in obedience to Christ, people are going to wonder, why do you do that? How do you do that? How does your marriage survive that? How does your family engage with that issue? How do your high schoolers answer me in a way that makes sense, even though I don't agree with all the things they say as a Christian? I, I understand what they're saying. And how does that work? They're going to have questions and opportunities that will come if we're living obedient to Christ. Or secondly, you'll get to experience all of the list from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. <laughs> Either questions and comments are going to come, 
or you're going to get to experience malice, slander, envy, and lies, and they're all going to be directed towards you. You're like, I feel that. I get that. I'm already experiencing that. Thank you very much. Welcome. Because here's the thing. Malice, slander, envy, and lies were everything that was lobbed at Jesus throughout his life. And every single time, here's what I love about Jesus. Can I just say this? Here's what I love about Jesus. He was never rattled. I mean, look anywhere in the gospel and see if he flies off the handle at all, minus the money changers. The dude is so steady. People are in panic around him on a 24-7 basis. And when they come to Jesus looking for a response, Jesus, aren't you going to respond to what they said to you online? Are you crazy? You can't let that go. Jesus is always, we're good. It's not my fight. Are you kidding me? They said that about you. Yep. I mean, the most even keel, the most laid back, the one who took the most malice, slander, and envy. And here is, here's his response. To us who follow Jesus, we will, if we live in obedience to him, have the same issues. I didn't say that. Jesus said this in John 15, verses 18 to 19. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore it hates you. It doesn't, like, dislike you. It doesn't like, eh, I could pass, good, good or bad. It's not like, you know, cheap pizza. I could eat that, you know. It's either they will love you or most often they will hate you. But again, not out of your own personality and your own bents. They will hate you because it's me. They will hate you because it's Christ and Christ alone. It's because I follow obedience to Scripture and I speak truth from Scripture that you hate me. Not because it's just a character flaw. Not because I'm living as a coward. Not because I'm living inconsistently. It's, it's truly Christ that is either moving me into marginalization or it's truly Christ that is causing hope to come into a conversation. And I always have to be careful in, in giving illustrations because we live in a small town and in a small area, and, and sometimes everybody knows everybody, but I'll just say that for me, this hit me two weeks ago at a soccer field, and I was talking to somebody, and um, I, I took it as the, the hope, but I also took it as the marginalization all in the same statement. <laughs> you ever have one of those backhanded compliments? You're like, I think that was a compliment. I'm not sure. We were getting ready to finish in practice, and somebody came up to me, and they knew I'm a pastor, and they said, you know, I just, and he, they're rambling and talking and talking and talking and talking, and you could tell they were nervous, and midway through the conversation, he, he just looks at me, and I never had this happen, he looks at me, and he goes, you just really, you intimidate me. I said, okay, <laughs> okay, I know guys that intimidate, I'm not that guy. But I got what he was saying because then he went directly into his faith or lack of and how long he'd been out of church and it's my personal thing and not really a, I'm not really a Jesus follower. I kind of grew up in a Catholic church, but not really. And this is all happening at the soccer. <laughs> and I thought, huh, 
I guess that's what it's like for somebody who is on the margins of Jesus. Not the margins of society, but the opposite, the margins of Jesus. They look to him and say, I could never do what you do. I could never believe what you believe. I'm almost intimidated by you. And it's not because of your stature, trust me. <laughs> it's because of what you believe. It's because of who you are. It's what you stand for. It's, it's how you conduct yourself. Because we've known each other for a while. And I tried to be gracious, and I tried to offer hope in that conversation. And I don't know where it's going to go. But I know this, God has him in my life for a while. <laughs> and so I will walk into those conversations saying, I want to be the one who offers hope and at the same time can live on the margins of society. We're not going to be best buddies. I get that. But we're going to be able to speak truth to one another. And here's what I, I saw lived out. This is the one time I got it right. <laughs> um, but I tried to live out this 1 Peter chapter 5. And we'll, we'll wrap up with some of these thoughts in, in, in the end of chapter 5. Um, beginning of verses 6 and 7. In response to marginalization or hope of the gospel, somebody growing because they're next to you, here's what he tells you to do. 6 through 7. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. He's telling them, hey, this is nothing new. What you're experiencing in this, these towns that I'm writing to, this isn't new. This suffering is, is around the world. But he reminds us of, of an amazing thing here. In the response to all of these things, whether it's being marginalized or whether it's living in a hopeful way to bring people to the gospel, no matter how you're living, he says this. Your answer is, here's how you respond. Now, let me just prep this real quick. When we hear, here's the answer, here's the response, we typically want bigger answers than what we're given, don't we? We typically want the solution to every problem that we face. Tell me the right answer to this conversation that I had yesterday. A friend of mine in high school asked me about same-sex attraction, and, and I didn't know what to say, so give me the right answers to say the right thing. When oftentimes it's a very long discussion and not just a here's your right answer. To First Peter in this world, they were living on the marginalization of society. They were living on the outskirts of the world that they were said to be in, and and you would think this, these people would say, Jesus, just give us the right responses to all the things we're going to experience in persecution or hope of the gospel. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. So here's what he tells them what to do. Eight and nine. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Resist him. Firm in your faith. This sober-minded actually goes back to the very beginning of the letter in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action and being, same word, sober-minded, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As you take courage and talk about Jesus for the sake of people's growth or whether you endure the persecution that will come, Peter reminds you to do one thing. Be sober-minded. Don't get caught up in all the arguments, getting drunk off of all the debates, getting drunk off of every political issue that comes your way. Don't get drunk on all those things, but be sober-minded. 
Be resolute on Jesus and Jesus alone. And then he says, be watchful and resist the enemy because the enemy will try to take you out every single step of the way. We know that. But he says, I want you to be resistful, be watchful, be resentful, prepare your minds. And, and he gives them this big overarching thing. Set your hope not on answering the question right, not on winning the friendship, not on do they like me or do they not like me. Set your hope on eternity. And this is probably not what the original readers wanted to hear. If they were truly living like exiles, they probably wanted answers like we do. Okay, Jesus. Okay, Peter. Okay, church. Give us solutions to the same degree of issue, of problem as the answer is the same degree. Tell us how to roll back this tide of evil that is upon us. Give us very specific answers to these very specific cultural problems. Give us easy comebacks. Give us quick and efficient remedies that, that we win. I want to win. I don't want to be seen as not winning this argument. Tell me how to win. And just like in Peter's day, we are living in a culture that is full of panic, all or nothing debates. I mean, you can't disagree about anything anymore. Well, if you're not all in, then you're not all in. If you're not fully into this, then just get out, right? The need for constant affirmation and all of these cultural things are these quick remedies, and all Jesus gives us, <laughs> set your hope on eternity. <laughs> but here's the thing. If that's the remedy, then there's, that's the remedy for a reason. He's asking us to trust him that that is enough to set your minds to the hope of eternity, living fully by the grace that will be revealed to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And as you do that, you're going to answer this last question. This is where we wrap up this morning. Are you, are you truly living a life that makes no sense without the gospel? Whether it's on the, on the speaking truth and love, or whether it's just speaking love without truth, can you live a life that makes no sense without Jesus in it? Or does your life fit into everybody else's life, and we all have the same issues, the same problems, we're all alike? Or is it truly set apart by Jesus and Jesus alone? Because here's the thing, as we stated earlier, I don't think the next generation behind us is really worried about all the things we believe. I think they're truly worried about do you believe what you say you believe? Do you live it out? Biggest word that came into my mind this week as I was reading through this, and I talked to my wife about this on Tuesday night. We were sitting outside, it's gorgeous, talking, and I just said, you know what? I said, you know what I'm tired of being? It's a great way to start your conversation, isn't it? I'm just tired of being a hypocrite most of the day. Where I say one thing and I don't live it out. I preach one thing and I don't ever live it out. And she goes, oh, you're just being hard on yourself. No, I'm not. I'm not. I just truly hate it. I hate saying one thing and, and living another. And, and I, I, I said, I just don't want to be that. And she says, welcome to being in this world and trying to follow Christ. And I get that. But I want my life to be one that is either living on the margins or people are drawn to it and say, I'm uncomfortable around you, and I don't know why, but I really am drawn to something. And I can say, you know what you're uncomfortable around? It's Jesus, and you're really uncomfortable around him for a reason. And that's okay, that you're uncomfortable around him. You should be. The guy's holy perfection. Of course you're going to be uncomfortable around that. And so he gives us this amazing thing. He says, if you're living the gospel well, 
He gives us his final encouragement as he ends his letter. I'm going to leave us with this encouragement as well. As we live out as exiles in this world, he leaves us with a little bit of some bandages to the two-by-fours he's just taken to our face. And he says this in verses 5, 10 to 11. After you have suffered a little while, this is amazing. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, don't miss this. We can breeze through scripture. Don't miss this will himself do the work. That's amazing. He himself, he's got a busy schedule, more schedule than my, my schedule's been. He's probably pretty busy on a regular basis. He will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion, or authority, rule, kingship, dominion forever and ever Amen. You see, the sufferings are going to be great, but God's grace is greater. I love that he says the grace of Jesus Christ will restore. What will it restore? It's going to restore those in your community and in your circle who have given up. And they don't want nothing to do with Christianity. They want nothing to do with Jesus. They've just given up hope and it's over for them. Grace will restore hope in those who have given up. Grace will confirm for those who are unsure I think I want to follow Jesus. I think I want to follow Christianity. I'm just not real sure. Or let's just take that into the Christian world because he's talking to believers here. He says, for those believers who have given up, for those believers who are just unsure whether the fight's worth it, I will restore and I will confirm that it's worth it and I will do it myself. For those in this room who are followers of Jesus Christ, he not only will restore those who are willing, ready to give up, he will not only confirm those who are unsure, he will strengthen those who are weak. I'm going to lift you up, I'm going to prop you up like I hid the hands of Moses, and I'm just going to hold you until you're strong enough to go ahead. And lastly, he says, grace will establish you. For those who are doing the work, for those who are putting in the hours, for those who are living Christ on a regular basis, I will establish your work and I will, I will make it rooted into the lives of those you're speaking into and the message will make sense. And so the question this morning I have is, well, the three original, but let me just ask one more. Which of those do you truly need from him This morning, as you think of him establishing, restoring, confirming, and strengthening, which of those do you feel like, God, I am desperate for you to establish the stuff I've been doing. I am desperately in need of you to restore hope because I don't have any anymore. So the question is, which of these do you want him to do? Which of these are you asking him for? And lastly, I would just encourage you this morning. I know you've heard a lot, but I would encourage you just to really take some time this week and just ask, what's my takeaway from this? It's a lot of information. Where do I land? Is it that I'm, I'm really struggling on, 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 I'm not being really persecuted for much and, or the right things, or, or maybe I'm just not living a consistent life and so people aren't drawn to the difference that's in me and I got to deal with that and Know that no matter which of those spectrums you fall on, he's asking you to do the same thing. Humble yourself before me. Trust that I can do the things I've promised. And I will use you, Community Bible Church, in amazing, amazing ways.
if we truly live in obedience to him. Make sense? I pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. God, sometimes we, we don't like passages like these. We just, they make us uncomfortable. Um, others in the room, they love these passages. But regardless, Father, I pray that you would not allow us to get caught up in our own personal preferences, fighting arguments that are truly just about character flaws, or not saying anything about you to those around us and just fitting into the society around us. I pray that you would make us different. I pray that we would feel some of these, these, these things of exiles and not for the sake of our own personal agendas, but because we follow Jesus and Jesus, you say some really harsh things sometimes, but truthful and hopeful things at the same time. Would you draw people to yourself in this community? Would you eliminate any distraction from you in this community? I pray for the names in my head right now that, that don't know you. I pray that every, elimination, every, every obstacle would be gone, that they would see the hope that is you and turn their lives over to you. For those who may be here this morning and, and they aren't sure, they don't really know if they follow you, I pray that today would be the day they just put every distraction aside and say, I want you. Pray that would be true. God, help us to live lives well that honor you, sober-minded, resisting the enemy as we do it. In your name I pray.